new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tani Levitt, joined as always by 24-7 Sports Recruiting King. What's, what's your title? <laughs> I'm, I'm recruiting. I'm, I mean, my title. What is my title? Director, Director of, of Basketball Scouting. There we go. Director of I, Basketball that's Scouting. That's my title. Whatever. Director of Basketball Scouting and College Basketball's all-time assist king, Jerry Meyer, here with me from the jump. Really good to have you in studio, Jerry. We've got a lot to talk about today, uh, but before we get into it, a quick reminder that we are now on Twitter. We are the at 24-7 Sports CBB Show. Hit us up. Let us know what you want us to talk about because we want to make the show for you. We want to hit on the teams and the topics that, that get you guys going or that, that confuse you. Whatever it is that you guys want to hear about, we want to be talking about that stuff. So hit us up on, on Twitter with the hashtag 24-7 CBB, and we'll do our best to uh, hit those questions on the show. So before we get into it, Jerry, we've got we've got to talk about a, a wild upset last night, and we've got to talk about some bizarre stats in the Big Ten. And at the back end, I'm going to surprise you. I want to talk about fans properly calibrating their expectations for their teams and for their coaches. But before all that, you and I watched Arizona's loss against Oregon State, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. But even before that, I have a question for you. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. I will be wearing number five for my basketball team. Who is your favorite number five basketball player of all time? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry spends his time studying philosophy, well, not history. <laughs> I mean, I like numbers. I don't like the number. I'm a number four. Number and four. 42 and 14. I like, Why'd you I like choose even four? numbers. Why'd you choose four? Uh, my dad was 14 when he played so i wanted 14 um but they only had single digit number jerseys so i went with four so that was my first basketball jersey then i just got so buff i had to go to 42 Ooh, look at this guy (laughs) okay okay i like the baggy jersey i'm the exact opposite of the kids today I, i wouldn't be able to wear all that tight stuff but uh it's better fabric so it probably feels good back in my day you know like i didn't want that nasty stuff no. touching me like 100 percent cotton and polyester and <laughs> whatever yeah all right all right but yeah uh but i i i don't know of many basketball players that were number five if i, I can't name one yeah honestly so, i can't i can't think of any off the top of my head why'd you ask me that because i thought you would know i thought you oh. i thought you you've been you've been yeah. around the block i got you. Well, i appreciate that you've but been, i i'm sorry i do not you've been in the game for a lot longer than me and certainly more involved on an intimate level that's a neat question yeah, yeah. has there been a stand out who wore number five i'll have, I'll have, I'll have to do some you research need, you need to do that research i'll do that and get back to you guys next week we'll have uh we'll have next week we'll have uh, history on the number five in basketball uh and and stats for my first game so that's very exciting so let, let's get into it the news of the night last night clemson takes down duke at home 
And and Jerry, this this is crazy because um, Clemson had just beaten UNC for the first time at UNC for the first time in program history, and then in the same week they go beat Duke. Do you mm-hmm. want to guess when the last year Clemson beat Duke and UNC in the same season? Uh, it was probably forty years ago. Uh, not quite. It was 1995-1996. But do you want to guess now? How long it's been? Oh, oh, and who was the coach of that team? Do you, do you remember? Do you remember who was the coach of that coach Clemson of which team? team? Clemson in ninety five, ninety six. I don't know Foster. Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes, oh, Rick our Barnes. man, the man who can only coach teams that wears orange. <laughs> I realized that recently. Rick Barnes, Clemson, Texas, and now UT. I guess uh, UT Knoxville. Really funny that Rick Barnes is, a, is an orange guy. But uh, in nineteen eighty nine, I call it burn orange, but to me, Texas is more red. Oh yeah, well that that is a hot take. That is a hot take, and there are a lot of people in this office. I just want to blow up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hit us up on Twitter if you think Jerry's crazy for saying the burnt orange is more red, but. But uh, it, w- it hasn't been since 1989-1990 that Clemson beat UNC and Duke in the same week. And, and this it's just really cool to see a team get off the schneid. You could see Clemson's coach mouthing after the win over UNC, you know, it's over. And, and so I was wondering if you had any experience, like, really getting off the schneid like that as a player, as a coach. Like, just no. Beating, oh, I was you, always on the Duke team. You were always beating everybody. <laughs> Some I've had... You know, been the victim of some people getting off the snide, but no, um, Jerry. What was generally all my teams were really good high school through college. What what was in your coffee this morning? You you've got an extra pep in your step. You're flexing already twice in what's the six minutes? Look at look at you. Well, I'm giving you an honest answer, Tony. Ooh, ooh, Jerry, coming with the. I I love that. I love it. I don't know. I I love it. Okay, okay. I mean, one year I played football, we might have won one game. My, um, but that was the only year I played. Yeah, my high school team always lost to our rival, and and uh, the year after I graduated, uh, our team beat our rivals. And the kids who are on that team still talk about it today. It's really annoying, but it's exciting. It's exciting for Clemson. It's obviously just like you know, just well, troublesome. Yeah, and they're pretty good. Yeah, and and don't look now, but Clemson's creeping up the rankings. I think top seventy five in Ken Palm. All of a sudden, creeping into uh, the, the tier one category for for the net ranking. But let, let's let's get into our our main topic for today and that's the Arizona Wildcats we we each watched Arizona's game against Oregon State and it's a curious team because they're relying heavily on on freshman talent uh, not a deep rotation and and all of a sudden, an Arizona team that was top 15 by most people in, in the preseason, uh, kind of bouncing around the bottom of the AP Top 25, now have five losses on the season. And so, Jerry, what were your immediate impressions when, when you watched Arizona, let's say from the offensive side? Uh, it's not a very good Arizona team. Uh, I've seen a lot better. Uh, very reliant. You know, I think they got <clears throat> Nico, Najee, and uh, Green, and not a lot after that and uh, you know to me their biggest problem is their defense yeah i don't don't think they defend well i don't even think their star players are very good defenders no and they have no physical presence inside um you know very finesse and just you know, not that good a team. I mean, they're 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 fine. They're okay. They're they're good, but they're not the Arizona team. We're used, to, you know. Arizona usually has better teams. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. But you know, the way this year is, um, pretty much any night anyone can win, right? <laughs> 
That's true. You know, and it's crazy though that you say they they, they don't have um, strength on the inside because they start and you know most of their uh, most favorite lineups have two guys six ten and taller with Najee Harris and Chase Jeter on the floor. Yeah, but they're extremely thin. They play finesse. <clears throat> they there's they have they just don't have a physical presence inside. Yeah, so so after I I texted you the other day, I said let's let's watch this game so we can talk about Arizona, and then I watched the game and see that Oregon State played the whole game in a zone, which obviously you know is still much to learn from watching a team attack the zone. It's always crazy to me how much college teams, especially, just like really freeze up against the zone, but. Um, nonetheless, I was <laughs> kind of hoping we would see them play a man-to-man team. But one of the things that was most striking to me was that on offense, on a couple of occasions, I saw Arizona players just running into each other. And and that showed, you know, just like a lack of discipline on the offensive end that, that I was surprised to see from a Sean Miller team. Um, yeah, I mean, the zone, people play zone because it does create issues. Uh, sometimes it's out of weakness. Or out of strength or a combination of the two. Um, you know, I think the matchup type zone is becoming more and more popular. I've, I've noticed I'm seeing it more. You know, Ole Miss was running sort of a hybrid thing against Florida last night. And um, teams are always going to be more prepared and more ready for man-to-man, especially until later in the year. But I have a feeling we're going to see more matchup zone in college basketball over time because it is tough to play against. You know, you're, you're bringing elements of matching up because you'll notice a lot of teams, though, if a guy cuts through, you know, say say I'm on the bottom of the – you know, it's a basic 2-3 matchup zone. I'm on the bottom uh, left. And if my guy makes, a, say, a diagonal cut through the lane <clears throat> up to the top guard spot on the other side of the court, a lot of times you'll see a guy – trail him and follow him into that spot so they'll basically switch positions in the zone and why would you do that defensively? because it's a matchup zone no but in other words like what what does that take away that in a regular zone you wouldn't have well in a regular zone you pass them off like in a, in a regular zone you're going to play your area <clears throat> and of course you're going to still sort of match up in that area i mean you're not just going to give people wide open shots um that would be more like a syracuse you know, like you never see syracuse exchange positions but in a more matchup oriented zone uh you're you're not going to leave a guy alone because what teams try to do in a zone offense is they'll take a guy who say the top guard is guarding they'll move him to try to lure that guy out of position defensively Mm -hmm. and then they'll cut someone into that vacancy oh i see um and like a replacement cut and so in this hybrid-type zone defense, you're not going to let that happen. That guy is going to follow that cutter and be responsible for him until he can hand him off to someone else. But if there's no one to hand him to, then he will follow the guy all the way, and then the zone will just have to morph with guys in different positions now. Oregon State didn't really do this matchup situation. They, they were kind of staying home for the most part. Yeah, well, that's always the goal, you know, but I, I know there were some plays where they didn't. But, in fact, most of the time they did. It takes a lot of movement offensively to create this type of situation I described, so it's not like a normalcy. Um, 
And typically in zone offenses, you don't have a lot of movement. So one theory, you know, when I was coaching uh, high school and I was an assistant at Montgomery Bell Academy, Ricky Bowers, who played for my dad, very good coach, um, I was his assistant. And a lot of times when we played zone, we'd run our man-to-man offense uh, just mainly to get movement and just kind of counterintuitive thinking. So you're going to see – it's going to be – I'm kind of intrigued by this because I, I see a future in college basketball where we see more matchup zones of sorts. You know, UNLV had the famous amoeba defense, which, you know, you know, there are similarities and differences, but kind of basically the same thing. I see college basketball going more towards that direction and then – Offensively, you're going to see teams, they're going to have to become more creative. So you can't just have, you know, a guy on each wing, a guy on top, flash to the high post, look at the short corner. I think you're going to see a lot more screening um, of the zone and a lot more cutting. Well, that's exciting. I mean, the more the more movement on the offensive end definitely <clears throat> leads to a more interesting possession from, from a viewing perspective. And so, so coming back to Arizona now, on the defensive end, I thought they were you know half decent for for most of the game, and then all of a sudden in the back third they just kind of disappeared. It was it was very bizarre. A lot of the time, though, even when they were getting stops, they were like in rotation immediately. That that Oregon State won uh, yeah. two passes, one. Well, pick. I don't think they guard the ball well, so they're always in rotation. What what do you mean by that when you say they, on they the ball defense? I think the guy dribbles by. <laughs> if I'm, you know, if I'm guarding you with the ball, they're getting beat too much on the dribble, at least in that game. And once I get beat on the dribble, that's why we're rotating. There's a reason teams are in rotation because they have to rotate. Now, um, typically because they got beat off the dribble, the other way would be is if you double team, say like in the low post. But I, I did not think Arizona was very strong at the point of attack whenever that would be I'm, I'm not just putting it on the point guard defender but when guys it felt like when Oregon State wanted to attack the rim or if they wanted to take someone off the dribble they were very much able to do that Arizona is right now still very much in the mix for the Pac-12 title there it's not a particularly strong conference they're really only four yeah, they've only played three games right yeah, well yeah but just two. you know projecting projecting out you know the the bottom half of the conference is, is very weak and so with so few games against really influential uh, uh, players, I mean, obviously they lost Oregon State, who, who's creeping up, but you know, you, you'd think that they would be a half-decent seed uh, you know, coming into March. And so my last question for, for our conversation about Arizona is what, what kind of team would they match up well against? Because you know? I think that they do have a lot of strength on the offensive end. They've got a lot of firepower, guys who can take people off the dribble. You saw a lot of attacking off the dribble on the offensive end. That was where a lot of their, you know, that was where they found points against Oregon State. So what kind of team would they match up well against come March? Well, you know, I, I would say the less physical team inside the lesser the physicality inside of, for their opponent, the better off they are. Um, and, you know, teams that aren't that good at dribble penetration. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I just – to me, I'm just not that impressed with this Arizona team. I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't think it's like this, that, or the other thing. I think they have three really good offensive players. And then I think there's a big drop-off. 
and then defensively overall, I just don't think they're that good of individual defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they got a lot of work to do from what I've seen on the defensive end. Chase Jeter, he's gone. He's a senior. For the, that trio of freshmen, Josh Green, Najee Harris, Nico Mannion, they were all pretty high. Uh, I guess Najee Harris less so, but they were all pretty solid recruits, Josh Green and Nico Mannion especially. Do you think they need uh, another year of development in Arizona before they go to the league? Or, or is this or something they that they def- can iron they, it out? You know, I mean, I, I, I think it would benefit probably any player to get an extra year before they go to the league but um i'm kind of of the mindset when you can go to the league you go to the league mm. because you get can that get, money well you well you can say it like that or you can just say make a smart business decision yeah because <laughs> you can get better in the nba i don't, I don't get this idea and, and i know why it's out there it's because people are advocate advocates and they're grinding an axe for the ncaa and trying to keep the ncaa basketball viable and alive and relevant which it is very much but this idea that you need to stay in college another year because you'll develop more in college than if you went to the nba i don't buy that i think there you know there's better there's better skill instruction and individual instruction in the nba there's more resources there's more time to get better so that's one reason I tend to believe if you can go, you go. Now, you do what you want to do. And if a player enjoys being in college, you know, Bill Walton has eloquently made this argument, and, I, and I'm down with Bill on this. Bill's a legend. Bill, Bill enjoyed college. That was and so if you enjoy I college, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm one of those guys, like, do whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, I'm not you. I don't know you. You do what you want. But if you look at just strictly monetary, if you look at it from just money per, uh, standpoint perspective almost always it seems like on the ledger sheet you're better off coming out when you can come out yeah and and to, to wrap this up before we go a break i mean there there's no one who says you can't come back and graduate while you're in the league you know you, there's there's well, no people one who, do it all the time people do people it. do it after single moms do it after they work three jobs and raise their family i mean you can do anything in life like why why do we have this perspective that the the right and normal thing is to get your college degree and then do something i mean we don't we don't say that to rock stars or musicians or uh, you know ballerinas or you know or art artist bill gate did bill gates graduate from michigan i'm not sure i don't know i read outliers but it was a long time ago there's a chapter <laughs> about them and he was lucky he had the, the first and best computer lab 24-7 access at yeah. Michigan. But I, I don't even know if he graduated. We don't worry about that. All we worry about is our athletes. And not even and don't let me them. get into all the components of that because <laughs> we can get real woke on here if we want. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and, and it's selfish. You know, I just want him playing for my team, my team. And then we're, everyone's out there like they can make a decision for this person on what that person should do professionally. I, I stay away from all that. Well, uh, I, you know, I, I've I've certainly gotten into it in the past, and uh, um, I think we've got enough stuff to talk about that we're gonna hit hit a break on the backside. We've got to talk about what's going on with Big Ten teams on the road, uh, and then transition from there into a conversation about what we should expect of our teams as fans. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network 
where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, and we're back with the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Remember to give us a follow on Twitter, 24-7 Sports CBB Pod. Hit us up with the hashtag 24-7 CBB so we can answer your questions live on the pod. We've got a, a goldmine of basketball knowledge and experience here in Jerry, and he has told me more than once that he is uh, excited to answer your questions. So, so hit us up on Twitter with your questions with the hashtag 24-7 CBB. We'd love to get into that. But for now, I have a question. So... Last night, we have three games in the Big Ten. The Big Ten, across the board, is rated as the best conference in the NCAA right now. And yet, teams are 35-7 and seven at home, which is just stunning. Absolutely crazy. And in so, conference? Or in conference. How many? In conference. Okay. So, so my first question— Is that, is that strange? Yeah, that, that's, is that too many losses or too many wins? Way too many wins. Like you'd think that usually it's it's much uh, much more even. I mean, obviously home teams go and win, but you know more than they lose, but not not to this extent. And so, I wanted to ask you about home court advantage. I mean, we've kind of talked about it in the past. We talked about your old uh, Lipscomb teams, but. What does this say to you that teams can't go on the road? Are are we overinflating the Big Ten because they're getting these you know really big time home wins? Everyone's winning, or are I'm sorry, are we are we appropriately picking up the Big Ten because they're holding serve at home, or are we overinflating them because they can't go on the road and get it done? Uh yeah, I have no idea <clears throat> because I, I I didn't even know those numbers, so I, I wouldn't. This is all new to me. Uh, when I watch the when I watch college basketball, I would tend to think, well, like when you said the Big Ten is considered the toughest conference, that jived with me. You know, a lot of good teams. I think the Big Ten's been strong consistently for a while here. I just honestly don't know what to make of that. Yeah, <laughs> I like the, the whole home. I to me, I I thought the home team was usually does win and was supposed to win so oh, I, I didn't even know, i didn't even know those numbers were out of order well, but, that, I, but i'm not a huge you know you know like my mind's a little in a little different place that's that's i mean you know usually i'm in the same place as you but this is we're looking right here at like that's five out of every six games the home i always expect the home team to win personally unless the team's really good on the road i mean it's hard to win on the road yeah travel stinks um being in an unfamiliar situation is not fun. You know, then, of course, you got the energy that the home team feeds off of. I mean, I, I, it's, it's really difficult to win on the road, in my opinion. Well, last night we had a very interesting situation up in Wisconsin. Because Maryland, Maryland, my, my just frustrating Maryland Terrapins, they go up there. And in the last three minutes, each team takes the lead by one, by two, a couple times. And at 15 seconds left, I think it was 15 or 13 seconds, left, Maryland is up one and forces, shockingly, forces Wisconsin into a turnover. And we've got a situation where all Maryland has to do is inbound the ball, they're up one, make some free throws, and they, sh they should go out. 
and Maryland is unable to inbound the ball. Wisconsin knocks. Well, they inbounded it. <laughs> Not successfully. <laughs> Wisconsin, I think it was Brad Davidson, they knocks it, it to back. Brad Davidson. Knocks it back off a Maryland player. Wisconsin then immediately executes from the exact same spot an inbound pass, frees up, I think it was Davidson again, for a wide-open three, catches it, and Maryland goes on to lose, which obviously is a frustrating, frustrating game for me as a Maryland fan. But the reason I bring this up, I wanted to talk about screens because – on we have on two back-to-back plays we have Maryland fails to execute a proper screen to free up uh, Anthony Cowan or one anybody really uh, to inbound the ball and then go to the free throw line and then on the exact following play we have Wisconsin setting the pick that you know is coming the pick to free up a shooter to the the closest corner the corner three with their best three-point shooter and and Maryland just doesn't see it and uh, f- you know lets lets the shooter go. So when you see people fail to execute screens, to to you is that is that a coaching thing or is that a player thing? Because I really have trouble parsing parsing it out. Well, let's just talk about what happened specifically. Um, Brad Davidson gets a uh, now you know on the play where Wisconsin has the ball now. Brad Davidson gets a double stagger screen. He does a great job of deking his man making his man think he's going to go another direction cuts extremely hard off the first screen and rubs it shoulder to shoulder and he's at like a full sprint so his man gets clipped on that screen and then brad does a great job of coming off the second screen tight and the guy's already given up too much space um i think smith was defending the screener He's hesitant to come out and hedge because then you have the slip behind him for an easy shot at the basket. You know, basically the defender on Brad Davidson did not keep a tight enough, you know, hold on him. He didn't he didn't ride his hip close enough. Now, is it who's one, it was a good design because I liked the way the screeners were spaced and I liked um, the second screen. I thought was in a great spot, like just right inside the three-point line. So that's coaching. That's a play. The players executed that, uh, but they, they've been taught to, you know, so it's hard to say is it coaching or is it playing. It's it's all one thing. Um, and then you got to get the ball in bounds. That's the number one thing you work on. So I don't, you know, sometimes as a coach, you know, because I've, I've been in all the positions in basketball, you – Turgeon might have worked, you know, a lot on inbounding the ball under pressure in practice, and then the players just flub it up in the game, all right? Or he might not have, (laughs) you know? I don't know. I don't go to Maryland practices. But it's a synergistic thing. It's a combination of things, you know? So I don't know. The point is it didn't get done. So the team loses – and the program suffers. Yes. And um, players get benched. Some players essentially get cut. They're told they're no longer wanted. They get recruited over, and coaches get fired. You know, And the people inside the program can figure out who needs to suffer. But, yeah, Maryland choked the heck out of that game. And I don't know who to put the blame on other than Maryland. Jerry, that's all I got today. You got any parting words for for our listeners? No, I'm good. No. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I would enjoy some questions. So, um, 
I, I would, I just want to emphasize that. Yeah, hit us up on Twitter and I, I love dialogue. I'd love to answer some questions. All right, well, hit us up on Twitter. That's at 247sports, CBB pod. Uh, hit us up with the hashtag 247CBB. Uh, for Coach Jerry Meyer, for player Jerry Meyer, for college basketball's all time assist king Jerry Meyer, all in one. I'm your host, Tony Levitt, and we'll see you next week on the 247 Sports College Basketball Show. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy.